Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. So how much would you have billed in the following situation? You may have heard this story before, but famous automaker Henry Ford had asked uh, really a guy who was an electrical genius named Charles Steinmetz to build the generators for his incredible factory, right? And one day the generators just ground to a halt and they, so he called out the repairmen and they kept trying and they couldn't figure out how to fix them. And so he called back Steinmetz who He shows up and he tinkers around with the generators for a few hours and then eventually goes over, flips the switch, and the generators all kick on and begin working again. Well, a little bit later, Ford received Steinmetz's bill for $10,000. Now, in that day, that was a whole lot of money. It's still a lot of money for a few hours of work. And so, of course, Ford is shocked and doesn't understand, so he asks why the bill was so high, and Steinmetz's reply was this. For tinkering with the generators for a few hours, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Ford paid the bill. Right? That's wisdom. Steinmetz had wisdom. He knew what to do, and he did it. That's what we're going to talk about this evening in this next message in our Advent sermon series that we've been calling Christmas Threads. And throughout this series, we're pulling a thread, kind of like pulling the string on a sweater or a loose thread on a sweater when you pull it, and it begins to unravel the whole sweater because you find that that one thread was intertwined with all of the other threads. Well, as we're pulling a thread through history, what we're really doing is we're grabbing onto a theme that when we look at history, we see that it's truly a thread intertwined with all of the other threads, that it's central to the message of the Bible. It's central to what God set out to do in creation. It's central to what God is going to do ultimately when history comes to an end. And along the way, we're also seeing how Christmas was an integral part of pulling this thread throughout history. So we're, we're pulling a thread and then we're thinking about, okay, so what does this mean for us today? Our first week, we looked at our relationship with God, our covenant relationship with God. Last week, we looked at the thread of glory, and today, we're looking at the thread of wisdom. You heard a lot about wisdom in our first reading from Proverbs. What is wisdom, though? How would you define that word? I mean, just a working definition could be that wisdom is the ability to understand and use knowledge for correct behavior. And that's a pretty good definition, the ability to understand and use knowledge for correct behavior, because it applies to a lot of different walks of life. It would apply to Ford and Steinmetz, right? He knew He had the knowledge, and he could apply the knowledge. It applies to ethical and moral situations that we can understand and know and then actually live in accordance, live correctly. And so this is a pretty good definition. 
And in the book of Proverbs that we read from earlier, wisdom is one of, it's really the central theme. And over and over again throughout it, you get this, this movement of if then, right? If you live wisely, good things happen. If you don't live wisely, bad things happen. Even, even in the passage that we just read, it was promised that if you listen to wisdom and act accordingly, so if you live wisely, you'll live safely. You'll live without fear of harm. Right? You gain and follow wisdom, essentially life will work. But the warning in the passage is there as well. If you reject wisdom, then it's not going to work out. There'll be devastating consequences. There in the passage, it said there'll be disaster There'd be calamity. And, and I'm wondering for you, if you ever have, find yourself asking this question, how does this keep happening? Whatever that thing is, whatever the this is, how does this keep happening? How do we keep having the same fight over and over again? How is it that we keep struggling every month with money, making ends meet. Why is it? Why does this keep happening that we get to the end of a day or a week or, and we're just the same exhaustion? Why does it keep happening that we have the same fear, the same worry, the same anxiety? Why does this keep happening? Well, it may be because we don't know or we don't understand how to use the knowledge that we have. It may be because we lack wisdom. And in the passage that we read, wisdom is actually pictured as a person, isn't she? This happens a number of times throughout the book of Proverbs. And she is out there, we're told, in the streets, essentially making herself available, saying, hey, I'll teach you. Come to me. Right? She's out in, in the public square at the top of the wall. She cries out. She makes her speech. In other words, what this is helping us understand is that wisdom is available for everybody. Right? Wisdom is not something that is only for the learned, for the, those who are book smart. As a matter of fact, some really book smart people have a whole lot of not wisdom, right? <laughs> they may know a lot, but they may not know what to do with what they know. And so that's a lack of wisdom. But wisdom is available to anyone. That's good news. Because <laughs> that means the house this keep happening doesn't have to keep happening. It means there are other ways of living and being. There's other paths that can be forged. And so there is opportunity to see a different future. And so wisdom invites any to come, to be taught, to be instructed. And yet, we're not always instructed, are we? So what do the following characters from famous Christmas stories all have in common? Cindy Lou Who, Lenny, the know-it-all kid from Polar Express, and Ebenezer Scrooge. What do those three all have in common? You, you may have guessed it because of where we're at today, right? They, they all lack wisdom. But they all lack wisdom for very different reasons and in different ways as the passage warns us about. Wisdom cries out, we're told in verse 22 of what we read, how long will you who are simple love your simple ways? Hmm. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? 
The warning is about being simple, is about being naive, perhaps, being unable to understand the knowledge or being unwilling to understand the knowledge. Right? This is Cindy Lou. She busts the Grinch stealing the Christmas tree, right? I mean, she's out of bed. She sees it with her own eyes. It's all happening right before her. And she asks, Santa Claus, why? Right? <laughs> why are you taking our Christmas tree? And the Grinch, we're told, is, you know, he's so cunning and he's so smart and he looks back at my sweet little tot and he gives her the reason, right? There's a light on this tree that won't light on one side, so I'm going to take the tree back to my workshop. I'll fix it up there and I'll bring it back here. Now, this is ridiculousness, isn't it? And don't mind that he's already stolen everything else in the house at that moment, right? It's the last thing except for the log and the crumb for the mouse. That's all that's left. And yet, she buys the story, right? She's naive. She's unable to comprehend the situation, what's going on, what she's seeing, what she's hearing, and so is unable to follow through and thwart the Grinch's plan to steal Christmas. Now, thank goodness that she didn't, because what a beautiful transformation he experiences. But the point for tonight, right? She's simple. Now, it may not be very fair because Cindy Lou was two. And yet, this actually fits pretty well for many of us, doesn't it? Because we, too, find ourselves simple and enjoying our simple ways. Well, what do I mean by that? We may be choosing to be naive. We may choose to stick our head in the sand. We may choose to not either dig more deeply than what we see on the surface, or we may choose not to try to even expend the effort and energy to understand what it would take to have a different way forward. Because the reality is, what's clear in the Proverbs passage is it takes work to seek wisdom. You have to pursue it. We have to commit ourselves to seek it, to search for it, to continue to, to yes, be lifelong learners so that we can gather more knowledge, but also lifelong appliers, putting into practice what it is that we are coming to understand. But I think the reality is, a lot of the time, we don't really want to know because, man, if I know some stuff, then I'm going to be responsible to do something about it. And so we choose the same pattern. We choose the same naivete. We choose to be simple and to love our simple ways. And then we complain when it keeps happening the way it's always happened. So the warning is for us who may choose to be simple to abandon our simplicity and to seek for wisdom. The passage also warns us about mockers. It says, how long will mockers delight in mockery? Now, mockers are those who are perhaps by nature cynical, somewhat fiant, maybe a little jaded, even arrogant in their perspective that they tend to know or at least think that they know. I mean, this is Lenny, the know-it-all kid from Polar Express, right? He would be a mocker. At one point in the story, the Polar Express train literally goes off the rails on a frozen lake, right? And it's this wild scene as the, the train looks like this snake kind of 
slipping across uh, this frozen water. Eventually, it comes to a stop, and they're able to get, you know, miraculously get it back on the rails because they got to get to the North Pole or else the story would end prematurely. So, <laughs> but after the, all of this excitement, the, the main character, the boy who was there at the front of the engine with all of this activity, goes back to the main car where all of the other kids were, and Lenny happens to be there, and Lenny goes on to explain everything that has happened, right? Claiming that though that there was no way that the train could have been on the ice, this was clearly an optical illusion. It only looked like it was that way, and he was adamant because he was cynical, he was a mocker. He couldn't think that, it, that something could happen that would defy his understanding of how the world should work and that it would defy his understanding of the way life would move forward. And so he dug in, digs his heels in. I, I think this may be some of us at various times in our lives. Mockers, we, we wouldn't think of ourselves as mockers, and yet perhaps not as in-your-face and flamboyant about it, but perhaps we find ourselves feeling like we really do know best. We really know how to fix what's going on. We really know how to solve these problems, and so we're going to put in a little bit more effort, we're going to have a better plan, perhaps it's more manipulation, whatever it is, but I know how to fix this. And if everybody else would just get on board with my solution, then we'd be doing well. And sometimes we understand that we don't, we're not actually able to do the solution, like we can't actually bring it to pass. Right? Like, you can know that, okay, we'd need to build a bridge, but you don't necessarily, you're not able to build a bridge, and so you know you need to get some people to build a bridge. And so sometimes we know how to fix the problems in our life and in the world, and we know we can't really do it, but we know how, so we go to the one who, know, who can do it. And so we go and talk to God about it. In all of our infinite wisdom, and we tell God the way this should get done. I know, okay, you don't. I, I have done this once. Long time ago. And our prayers end up filled with really perhaps somewhat veiled commands for God. Now, God invites us in our prayers to pour out the longings of our heart. So I don't want to shut down your prayer life. He wants that authenticity. He wants you to pour your heart out to him. And that's a good and a right and a beautiful thing. But what he also warns us of is when we become so rigid into how he's going to respond to the pouring out of the desires of our hearts. And if it's only acceptable that it works in these parameters of my understanding, my comfort level, my desires, my wants, that's going to be a problem. Because I don't actually have enough perspective to always know what I think I know about how to fix my life and the world. Which is why that the humility in prayer of saying, Lord, not my will, yours be done, is so important. It's not just saying, you know, throwing away the desires of our heart, but it is holding both the desire of our heart before God with authenticity and integrity and the humility of recognizing I'm a human, I only can see so far, I only understand the implications of the way things happen in the world to some degree, and so Lord, if I'm way off base, I'm going to trust that your way is going to be better. But as mockers... 
we think we know. And the passage is concerned about the simple and about the mockers, but then also for fools. How long will fools hate knowledge? Now, fools throughout the book of Proverbs are really those who hate knowledge because this is really the kind of knowledge that is like moral and ethical knowledge. Right, that this is, they hate knowledge because they want to set their own moral compass. They don't, they don't want to be restricted by anyone else. And so they don't even want wisdom to set a limit and a restriction on their life. And so this is Scrooge. Right, clearly, Scrooge is setting his own direction for his life. And he can be told over and over, and people can come to him and, and say there's a different path, a better path, a path of generosity, but instead he digs in, in his own greed, he becomes callous, he doesn't even want to give Bob Cratchit Christmas Day off, he whines about that, he doesn't contribute to the collection for the poor, he suggests that they go work in slavish conditions or that they go to prison. He's become morally desensitized to the reality of his own decision-making. And so he's a fool. Because he doesn't understand the danger and destructiveness of his own decisions for others, but also for himself, which is what the entire rest of the story is about, isn't it? To reveal to him how unwise he has been because he's been a fool setting his own moral direction. But when we take a little bit of a look below the surface in our own lives, perhaps there are times where we are foolish too. You know, where we have allowed ourselves to become desensitized, perhaps, to some particular moral issues. You know, we, we have some real high standards around some things, but yeah, perhaps there's some, some ways and some places that we really want to be the ones to determine what's right and what's wrong for us. And we know, we kind of know that we shouldn't do that and we shouldn't be, you know, continuing down that road. And, and yet, by our behavior, we've perhaps proven to be fools. You know, that we've rejected the idea that the God who made us also knows what is best for us. And that he wouldn't withhold from us that which is good and right and beautiful and fulfilling and satisfying. That he wouldn't reject us in that way. And yet, we reach in these moments perhaps for pleasure or comfort or security and just abandon for a moment what he's revealed for us. Which is why the wisdom cries out to the fool and says, repent. <laughs> repent at the rebuke. In other words, I am, I'm not pulling the punch anymore, and you probably already know it. This way of living isn't working. Go a different direction. Because you can feel it. We know it. We can see it. We can experience it. That it's not working, that it's continuing. Why does it keep happening? Because I'm choosing patterns that are destructive for me and for others. How does this keep happening? 
because I'm choosing, I'm reaching for something that offers instantaneous relief but leaves me empty in the long run. And we, too, are like fools, desperately in need of wisdom. And God has wanted wisdom for humanity, and wisdom is actually literally intertwined into the fabric of creation. If we pull the thread of wisdom, it's so easy to see. Actually, in Proverbs 8, wisdom once again personified said this, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. (laughs) Wisdom was the first of his acts before creation itself. He determined what is, is and is not wise because, as Romans 16 says, he is the only wise God. He alone is wise. He is wisdom. And so everything that he has done has flown out, has flown out of that wisdom. It flows right from who he is. And he was, he's made that wisdom known and available. <laughs> and yet it didn't take very long for us to reject as humans the wisdom that God made available, to seek it on our own terms, to choose as perhaps the the mocker and the fool that we know what's best, or at least we want to. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are there, what we have is the, the serpent. Satan comes into the garden to tempt Eve. And you may be familiar with the story and Asks her the question, can you not eat from any tree in the garden? And she responds, oh yeah, we can eat from any of the trees in the garden except for the tree in the middle of the garden. If we eat from that or if we even touch it, we're going to die. And of course, oh no, no, you won't die. God knows that if you eat it, you'll become like God. And so it told us in in chapter 3, verse 6 of Genesis, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So just so you know, he was right there, could have stopped it the whole time. But right there, in the earliest part of our history as humanity, (laughs) wanting wisdom on our own terms not having to be dependent on this only wise God, wanting to determine for ourselves what's right and what's wrong, wanting to know that we know how to move through life in the way that's gonna give us the most happiness and the deepest satisfaction. And ironically, we did gain some wisdom that day and lost so much else. We're told that that there was wisdom given to the people of God in, in his law as he revealed to them the way to live, the way he designed and intended life to be, that that they would be a wise nation and the nations of the world would see and did see in them when they followed God's way, they were an incredible shining jewel throughout history. Came to its ultimate kind of pinnacle in King Solomon. And King Solomon was actually the wisest man in history. That he, one night he has a dream and God appears to him in this dream and offers to really grant him anything that he wants. And Solomon recognizes how he is so finite and, he, and so insignificant and has been asked to lead God's people 
and he doesn't have what it takes. And so he says, Lord, give me a discerning heart that I can rule these people well. (laughs) And because he didn't ask for wisdom or acclaim or glory for himself, God blesses him and says, okay, I will give you a discerning heart. I will make you wise that there will never be anyone as wise as you. And so Solomon begins to rule in alignment with the wisdom that God gives him. And and that leads him to, ultimately, most of the book of Proverbs is written by King Solomon. It's like this high point of wisdom revealed, certainly, in the Old Testament. And it it was throughout it, you see this this invitation to, to particularly, it says, my son, over and over again, and that might have been his literal son, or it might have been the, the leaders among Israel, or just the young men of Israel, but it's this invitation. He, it's basically his training manual for wisdom. <coughs> Follow the ways of this book, and you will be wise. And in the passage that we read earlier, he says, okay, and here's the thing, wisdom is hard to get, and so seek it as if you're seeking Silver, precious metal, treasure, value it that much. Go after it with that much focus. Because if you do, man, life's going to be a good and beautiful thing. Solomon knows this. He's the wisest man in history. He's given this book of wisdom. He knows that you've got to seek wisdom with everything that you are, and yet the wisest man in history, stopped seeking wisdom. He gave it up. He gave it up for all of the things that he warns against. He gave it up for wealth. He gave it up for power. He gave it up for hundreds of wives and ultimately gives it up for the foreign gods that these wives worshiped. He turned away from the one who alone was wise and had revealed wisdom to him. Man, there's something so wrong and broken in us. And we, we too. Man, we know, so often we know, and yet we don't want to seek wisdom. We'd rather be naive and stick our head in the sand. We'd rather just know that we know the best way and and feel competent and confident in our own wisdom. We'd rather decide for ourselves how we're going to live. And so in the midst of that, wisdom, even the wisest one, it breaks down and it fails because our will is not able to seek wisdom the way God intends. And so we have Christmas. And so, from Luke chapter 2, there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. 
Mary, Mary and Joseph take their baby Jesus to the temple to do all that was required by the law, by that wise teaching that God had given. And so circumcision and sacrifice was made. And as they returned home, we're told by Luke that the child was filled with wisdom. He was filled with the knowledge, the understanding to understand and know the knowledge that God had and the ability to put it into practice so that when we look at Jesus throughout his life, why did he come at Christmas? He came to show us wisdom, show us how to live wisely. You can see it in him. You can hear it in how he teaches. You can watch it, how he lives it out. And as we see wisdom in Jesus's life, what we see is, man, God's wisdom is not like our wisdom. It defies our wisdom over and over and over again. And yet Jesus continues to live wisely. And we see it most clearly, perhaps, when he's in the garden. The garden where we sought to gain wisdom on our own terms, the Garden of Eden, and then we have the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus displays what real wisdom is about. Because Proverbs had told us that Wisdom starts in the fear of the Lord, in this reverence and awe, this wonder of who God is, this incredible reverence that that creates a moral mindset, this framework of how to live that, no, I can't decide what constitutes wisdom. I won't decide what's right and wrong on my own terms. No, I will actually humbly submit myself before God who alone is wise. And in the garden, we see Jesus live that out most clearly. He knows he's going to go die the next day. And in his prayer, rather than telling God how to fix it, he says, if there's any other way to do this, to bring about true salvation, to bring about the restoration of humanity, to make wisdom actually available to people in a way that their will will no longer reject it, let's do it a different way because I don't want to die. And he pleads out of the true overflow of the desire of his heart, and yet then he gives true wisdom, not my will, but yours be done. The fear of the Lord. And then he knew how to live, what he had to do. And he went and laid his life down. Not my will, but yours be done. We call the men that sought Jesus in the manger the wise men. It's like they knew. They knew that in that baby was the, was the only one who is wise. It's like they knew that if they were going to know how to live, if they were going to understand how to live and to be able to put that into practice, they were going to need to go find the one who was truly wise. And so in this Advent season... As we lack wisdom, as we perhaps live as naive simpletons, as we live as cynical mockers, as we live as rebellious fools, you are invited to come and seek that baby Jesus, that one who is wise, who shows us what true wisdom is, and in his wisdom gave his life for us so that not just that we could be forgiven, but that our hearts and our wills could be transformed so that we could actually seek wisdom and receive wisdom and we could live wisely.
as he did. Friends, this Advent season, let us cry out for wisdom. Let us seek wisdom as if a precious jewel, precious metal, because to seek wisdom is to seek the Lord Jesus, the only wise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for for how you have revealed to us what wisdom is. We, We sometimes think we know more than we do. And so, Lord, we we thank you for the reminder to, of humility required that it took Jesus' humility, his wisdom, his sacrificial death, his fear of you, it took that to make us new, to reconcile us with you, to break the patterns of sin and rebellion within us, to change our hearts and our wills so that we could be wise, Lord. May we continue to be humbled by that. May we have a fear of you that leads us to live wisely. Lord, break us free from the patterns of why does this keep happening and set us loose on your path that we can be wise. In Jesus' name, amen.